Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we pray as we open up your word this morning that your Holy Spirit would open up our eyes to the wonderful things in this passage. May we recognize the voice of Jesus this morning who calls his people by name. May we, like Mary, hear our names and respond by turning from the empty tomb toward the living Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, John chapter 20 is a passage that we normally would look at around Easter. This is the resurrection story. And yet here we are in the Advent season, singing songs about the birth of Jesus. This season, we put much focus on the coming of Jesus, And like I mentioned last week, his birth and his coming had a purpose. 
Jesus was born to die. Born to save us from our sins. And yet the good news of the gospel is not complete without the resurrection. He was born to die, but he was also born to raise from the dead. Jesus had told his disciples over and over, the Son of Man will be betrayed, he will be killed, and on the third day, he will rise again. And in verse 9 in our passage, John tells us, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Jesus had talked about it often. The scriptures had foretold it, but his disciples didn't get it. And we are very much like them. The reality of the resurrection is all over our Bibles. We sing resurrection hymns. And yet, how often do you think of the empty tomb outside of Easter? Do you understand the significance of the resurrection? How is your life different because Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, we, we know that because of the cross, Jesus died for our sins. He suffered in our place. He took on the wrath of God. Because of the cross, those who believe in Jesus are redeemed. The cross is central to the gospel. And yet so is the resurrection. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. If he has not been raised from the dead, then you are still in your sins. And we are, of all men, most to be pitied. But he has risen from the dead. And the resurrection changes everything. As we look at our passage this morning, we're going to see two things. We're going to see the evidence for the resurrection, and the experience of Mary with the risen Jesus. So the evidence for the resurrection and the experience of Mary with the risen Jesus. And the main point, what I hope you see in the text, is this. That believing in the risen Savior leads to joy and gospel proclamation. Believing in the risen Savior leads to joy and gospel proclamation. All right, so our passage begins on the first day of the week in the early hours of the morning. Look at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, all of the gospel accounts include the resurrection, but they all have their own flavor. They, they all share different details and aspects of the resurrection in order to get their readers to understand the point that they're trying to make. And so in this section about the resurrection, our writer John highlights Mary, Mary Magdalene, 
The other Gospels tell us that there was other women at the tomb with Mary. But for John's purposes, he only highlights Mary. But it's clear that she wasn't alone, because when she runs to to Peter and the other disciples uh, about that stone being moved away, she says in verse 2, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. The first witness to the resurrection of Jesus that John presents to us is Mary Magdalene. And we know from the Gospel of Luke that Jesus casts seven demons out of her. Seven demons. Her life was a wreck before Jesus, and he had graciously rescued her. She was there when Jesus was crucified on the cross. She saw him suffer, gasping for air. And now she's heading to the tomb to honor Jesus by possibly finishing the embalming of his body. Maybe Joseph and and Nicodemus had started the process but were unable to finish it. And she's grieving. Jesus meant so much to her. You could imagine all the emotions that she was feeling. And in verse 1, John gives us these three different timestamps that are important for us to notice. He writes that it was the first day of the week. It was the beginning of the week, signaling to us that this is a new beginning. Nothing will ever be the same because of what happened that morning in the early hours. John also shares that it was early. Jesus was crucified, he died, and he was buried on Friday. No doubt Saturday was a very difficult and sleepless Sabbath for his disciples. And now it's Sunday morning, and Mary and these other women get up before the sun rises And because of their devotion and love for Jesus, they go to the tomb early. And then John also says that it was still dark. Light and darkness is a theme that we see throughout the Gospel of John. And so I think that John is pointing us to the condition of Mary's heart. She's not heading to the tomb expecting it to be empty. All of her hopes were destroyed by the events of Friday. In her mind, her Lord was dead. And so she is expecting to find the dead, decomposing body of Jesus in the tomb. And yet she gets to the tomb, and it's worse than she expected. She sees the stone rolled away. We read in verse 2, So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Mary is distraught, and as she sees the stone rolled away, the only possible conclusion for her was that someone had taken the body of Jesus. Grave robbers were common back then, and so Mary thinks the body has been stolen, and so she runs to the disciples. 
The, the reality of the resurrection was not on her radar. And as Peter and the other disciple hear this, they run as fast as they can to the tomb. Verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. There's a lot of running in this passage. And then John shares that interesting detail with us. He says that the other disciple, who is most likely John himself, the one whom Jesus loves, he says that he outran Peter to the tomb. Peter was older. Maybe that's why John beat him to the tomb. But I don't think John is sharing this to show off or to brag. I think John is sharing this truth because that's exactly what happened. Right? These are the facts. He was an eyewitness. He was there. This is what happened. He got to the tomb first. And yet when John gets to the tomb, he doesn't go in. He peeks in and he sees the linen cloths. But when Peter gets there, in classic Peter-like fashion, he walks right into the tomb. And what these men saw changed them. You can picture the two of them inside the tomb, still trying to catch their breaths. Definitely Peter more than John. And they noticed two things. Look at verse 6. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. So Peter walks into the tomb and he sees the linen cloths and the face cloth. The grave clothes of Jesus were still there. Evidence of the resurrection. John points out that the linen cloths were lying there and the face cloth that would have been around Jesus' head was not with the linen cloth but off folded by itself. Why is John mentioning this? What's the point? Well, robbers don't fold clothes. They steal them. And I've never heard of a break-in where the robber does the laundry before he leaves. That's John's point. Grave robbers would have never gone into the tomb and folded up things nicely. Either these things would have ended up on the floor in a mess or taken because the spices and the linen cloths were very valuable. This is evidence that Jesus has risen. No one has taken the body. I think John wants our minds to go back to John chapter 11, the last time we read about a resurrection. At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus calls Lazarus out. And remember, Lazarus comes out of that tomb still wrapped up. And Jesus has to tell the people to unwrap him. But here, this is different. There is no one to help Jesus out of his grave clothes. 
This is entirely different from the resurrection of Lazarus. The way in which John describes the, the linen cloths and, and the face cloth lying there undisturbed gives us this idea that when Jesus was resurrected, his body just passed through the linen cloths and the spices. In the same way that he passes through the locked doors later on in verse 19 when he appears before his disciples. No one had taken the body. There was evidence that he had risen from the dead. And those grave clothes left in the tomb also serve as a spiritual reminder of what Jesus has done. Jesus was wrapped from head to toe in these cloths, and he left these cloths behind. This isn't just some historical fact of his resurrection, but it's also a symbol of what he did. Your sins, just like those grave clothes, have been left behind in the tomb. If you believe in Jesus, when Jesus stepped out of that tomb, he left all of your sins there. There's this beautiful picture of this in, in, in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. I was just mentioning this to Jacob and Katie about how incredible that book is. It's one of the best-selling books of all time. If you haven't read it, you need to. And in Pilgrim's Progress, Christian is making his way up the hill of difficulty, and he goes through the wicked gate. And remember, that great burden is on his back that represents the guilt of his sin. We have all experienced what that feels like. And when he finally gets to the cross, Bunyan gives us this picture of the burden falling off Christian's back and it rolls down the hill into the empty tomb. And that's what we're supposed to see this morning. By leaving the grave closed, Jesus has left the guilt of our sin in the tomb. Jesus has conquered sin and death. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus rose for our justification. Right? The resurrection changes everything. And we should think about it often. And the reality of Jesus' resurrection ignited something in John, and that's what's supposed to happen when you hear that Christ is risen. You're supposed to believe. Verse 8, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. Now, you may ask the question, well, didn't John already believe? Yeah, he did. Of course he did. But what he's saying here is that in that moment, we saw the grave clothes still there. He believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. And then John adds the comment that he and Peter did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So John means that while at the moment he knew that Jesus had risen from the dead, he didn't yet understand that the scripture had predicted that the Messiah would raise from the dead. No one expected to see Jesus alive again, but their minds were changed by the evidence that was before them, and we should believe too, because the evidence is before us as well. 
So we have seen the evidence of the resurrection. And now let's look at the experience of Mary with the risen Jesus. Peter and John leave and go home, but Mary stays. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Mary loved Jesus, and she's still grieving, weeping because of the great loss that she feels. And the the word for weeping here is more like a loud sobbing. And apparently she hasn't looked into the tomb yet. And as she looks into the tomb, she sees something different than Peter and John. Look at verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, normally in the Bible, where where people encounter angels, they fall to the ground in terror. But Mary doesn't even seem to react. Her grief is that heavy. The presence of the angel should have told Mary that something supernatural was occurring right in front of her eyes. Notice that specific detail that John gives there, that the angels were sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. There's only one other place in the Bible where angels are said to be at one at the head and one at the feet. And that is over the Ark of the Covenant. It's as though the place where Jesus' body was laid had become the mercy seat. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest of Israel took the blood of a slain bull or goat and he entered into the most holy place and he sprinkled blood over the mercy seat to make atonement. And now these two angels are seated at the fulfillment of the mercy seat where the true blood of atonement was sprinkled. And these angels ask Mary, why are you weeping? And she tells them because someone had taken away her Lord. The evidence of resurrection is all around her, but in her grief, she missed it. She's not what she should be. She's still living in unbelief. And yet Jesus comes to reveal this to her and to help her. She was totally unprepared for what was about to happen within the next few seconds. She turns around and Jesus is standing right there in front of her, alive. And she doesn't recognize him. Maybe because his resurrection body is so different, And that's why she doesn't recognize him. Or maybe because her eyes are so filled with tears that she doesn't see clearly. In fact, in verse 15, it says that she thought that he was the gardener. She asked if he had moved the body. Now, if you think about it, he did. Just not in the way that she assumed. And ironically, He is the gardener. Sin began in a garden. And salvation had been accomplished in a garden. Adam had failed his work in the garden. But the last Adam, Jesus, 
had succeeded. Richard Sibbs, one of the Puritans, wrote this. Mary thought that he was the physical gardener and missed the fact that he is the last Adam, the gardener of her soul. Jesus tends to the souls of all of his people, and we see him do that here. The first words out of the mouth of the Savior when he had risen from the dead are, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? Jesus is meeting Mary where she is at. In fact, this is what we see Jesus do from here till the end of this gospel. In these last two chapters, we will see Jesus ministering to some needy and troubled disciple who is in a place spiritually where they shouldn't be. First, it's here at the tomb with Mary. Then at some house where the disciples are, and Jesus interacts with Thomas. And then the last one is in chapter 21 by the Sea of Tiberias, where Jesus interacts with Peter. One of my favorite preachers, Eric Alexander, points this out. He says, With Mary, Jesus dries her tears of sorrow away. With Thomas, Jesus dispels his doubts and brings him to faith. And with Peter and his brokenheartedness because of his failure, Jesus restores Peter to himself and to service. John is telling us in this account of the resurrection of Jesus that he is now the conquering victor over death, and yet he is still the one who with his mighty hand touches the lives of the broken and the needy and the doubting and the failure. And where there are tears, he dries them. Where there are doubts, he dispels them. And where there is failure, he restores and renews. That's awesome. And Jesus does this because he's teaching them that they need him. That they need him. And he's also teaching them that they need his resurrection power to be with them, to do within them what they cannot do themselves. And friends, this same risen Jesus who draws near to Mary draws near to each and every one of us to dispel our doubts, to restore us, and to wipe our tears away. And now look at verse 16. Jesus says one word to her. Mary. And she turned to him, and in Aramaic said, Rabboni, which means teacher. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus, the good shepherd. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that the good shepherd calls his sheep by name and they hear his voice. Here he calls Mary by name and she sees the shepherd of her soul. And that's what Jesus does for all of us who belong to him. If we were to share our testimony, we could give like a, a two-hour version of how God sovereignly and providentially worked in our lives and who was the person who shared the gospel with us and what happened afterwards. And yet we could say very simply, I could say for myself back in 2004, 
Jesus called my name, and I heard him, and I followed him. And so he calls Mary by name, and she says, Rabboni, you're alive. You're here. It's you. And she clings to him because she realizes it's really him. You can imagine her just running into his arms and holding him tightly. The one whom she thought was dead is now right in front of her alive. And then look at what Jesus says to her in verse 17. Mary has gone from extreme sadness to joy, and Jesus says, do not cling to me. Now, Jesus isn't trying to push Mary away. He's trying to help her understand that he has things to do, and so does she. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. It's better that he leaves and ascends. Remember, he has told his disciples constantly that he was going away, that he was going back to the Father. It's better that he goes. He needs to depart in order to prepare a place for them, in order to send the promised Holy Spirit, and in order to ultimately return to take them to be with him. Mary, do not cling to me because I have not ascended yet, and I also have a mission for you. He tells her to go to his brothers, and we understand here that he's talking about the disciples. And in this verse, we see the doctrine of adoption, spiritual adoption. He says to her, go to my brothers, my brothers, and tell them I am ascending to my father, and he is now your father. My God, who is now your God. Since Jesus has risen, we now have the privilege of being adopted sons and daughters. And this points us back to the prologue and the beginning of John's gospel. In chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, John writes, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Those who receive Christ, those who believe in him, become part of God's family. And Mary gets the great privilege to go to the disciples and proclaim this great and profound truth. Mary was the first to the empty tomb, and she was also the first to see the risen Lord. I love this. I, I love this because it demonstrates the significance of women among the disciples of Christ. While women are not permitted to serve in the office of elder in the church, it's very wrong to think that because a distinction is made between male and female with roles given to each, both in, the, in the, the home and in the church, that somehow women are devalued. Brothers and sisters, women played a significant 
role within the disciples of Christ. And they still do today. Amen? Mary is the one who evangelizes to the apostles. She runs back and she brings the good news to them. Jesus is alive. I have seen him. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And and that he said these things to her. Could you imagine the joy in her heart? There's a lot of running back and forth here. And a lot of weeping. And yet this running back to the disciples, she was full of joy. And as she runs to the disciples to share this good news, we see this major transformation in Mary. She was at the tomb weeping, and yet her encounter with Jesus changed her. Her sorrow had become joy, and she went and she proclaimed the good news that she had seen the Lord. Now, real quickly, I want us to think about why the resurrection of Jesus matters. Why is the resurrection important? Well, first off, Jesus had to rise in order to confirm the sufficiency of his sacrifice. How do we know that the death of Jesus was sufficient to cover the sins of his people? How are we sure that he achieved salvation by his death on the cross? Through his resurrection, from the dead. Again, Eric Alexander says this, the resurrection was God the Father's amen for Jesus' death in our place. Remember, Paul writes that Jesus was raised for our justification. It confirmed the sufficiency of his sacrifice. But the resurrection also matters because In Jesus rising from the grave, that same power that brought him from death to life is now available to those who believe in him. And so the resurrection matters for us on a daily basis. We see that power at work in Mary's life, a power that produces a spiritual resurrection of his people into newness of life, right? The power, the power to love people who are unlovable, to rejoice in our sufferings, the power to endure difficulties and trials, the power to lay down our lives, the power to repent, and the power to forgive even when no one asks us to forgive them. And the resurrection also gives us a new hope a living hope. As Peter said in 1 Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His resurrection assures that we have a place in heaven and also promises that of the resurrection of our own bodies. Remember, Jesus has said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he 
live. So that's why the resurrection matters. All right, so what is the right response to all of this? How do we respond to the resurrection of Jesus? Well, first, it's to believe in Jesus. An appreciation for Jesus, a love for Jesus is not enough. Mary was lost and without hope that Easter morning. Her weeping was proof that she was still living in unbelief. And yet the Savior called her by name, and she followed him. And so is he calling your name today? Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so how do you respond this morning? By believing in Jesus. If you are hearing God's working in your heart, tell someone. I would love to talk with you. Any one of our members would love to talk with you and pray with you after the service. Believe in Jesus. And secondly, if you already believe in Jesus, then continue believing in Jesus. I hope that as we've talked about all these things this morning, that your faith has been strengthened, that you are remembering to set your hope not on your circumstances, but on Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're, you're just really spiritually dry. Maybe you're here and you're discouraged with life. Maybe your life is just a, one big mess right now. John recorded all of this so that you would see Jesus. That you would see that he welcomed Mary in all of her sadness. And then he wiped her tears away. He brought her from sorrow to complete joy. And then he sent her out to be useful in his kingdom. And that can be true of each and every one of you today. All you need to do is go to him. As we realize the grace of the Lord Jesus, as we realize all that he has done, as we realize the privilege that, that it is to be called a son or daughter of God, as we consider the risen Savior, we should want to tell others about him to tell others that he has risen and that he welcomes sinners. There's always hope in the gospel. There's always hope in Christ. He will not turn away one sinner who comes to him. And now Jesus calls you to take up that calling that he first gave to Mary, to go and to tell others about the greatest news ever. The news that Jesus Christ, who was born in a manger, who died for our sins, is alive. Alive. And he gives eternal life to all who call him Savior.
Believing in the risen Savior leads to joy and gospel proclamation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you have given us such a clear picture of your Son and your Word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that right now you are at the right hand of God the Father, our Father, our God, and that you have risen from the dead. We thank you that the same power that raised you from the dead is available to raise us into newness of life. We pray that you would give us grace to go to you, that you would wipe away tears, that you would restore those who have fallen and increase the faith of those who are doubting and help us to tell others that we have seen the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.